Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. We will always have change and uncertainty in our lives. God allows us to have holy pauses in our lives so that we can see and appreciate what we have and what God is doing. part three of Cheryl's message titled, A Holy Pause. They were to realize that though God had provided 40 years through manna, he was still the one in charge of the provision, but now he was going to do it in a new way by blessing the crops, by blessing the land, by blessing the weather, giving them rain. They needed to get used to the new diet and the new flavors that they would live by. They needed to enjoy the food. They needed to try out new recipes, to learn new ways of preparing it. Think about it, 40 years of doing nothing but manna, and you know, a little bit of steak and lamb every once in a while, but mainly manna. And now they're like, wait, wait, I know my mom had a recipe for this stuff. I gotta look it up. Gotta remember how to make it. But they also had to let their digestive tract and appetite catch up with the change. A holy pause. They needed to pause and reflect on the changes in their life. Israel's lifestyle would now be totally different as represented by the food. This was the foretaste of change from nomads to city dwellers, from gathering manna every morning to working the land, from traveling as a huge company to living with their tribe and settling in villages. This is the last time they would all be together as the nation of Israel, camping together. The camping trip is almost over and everyone's gonna go to their separate areas. You know, it's like that Christmas when all my, four of my kids, and I think back to those Christmases when it seemed like we'd always be together, that it would just be, you know, they were young and, you know, just the way the dynamics of the family were. I never foresaw a day or a time when Christmas wouldn't be like that. There's a need to adjust to the changes because if we don't adjust to the changes, we'll always be looking to the past, right? We won't embrace what we have and the goodness and the joy that we have. I remember my first Christmas that was different. And I might've told you this, but we were living in England and we couldn't afford to go home for Christmas. It was our first year out on the mission field. We bought a Christmas tree, but we didn't know that you don't put Christmas trees in front of the radiator because they dry out and the needles turn brown and rain down on all your presents. We didn't have enough money for Christmas presents. So um, we went to the pound store where everything is just a pound and everyone got five presents because that's all we had was five pounds per child. 
And yet it turned out to be one of the tenderest, sweetest Christmases. The next year we're like, we can't have another Christmas like that because it was a little Charlie Brownish. And so we invited anyone in our church in London who didn't have a place to go for Christmas to come to our house and to bring a present that was under five pounds. That way we knew our children would get something. Just kidding. So we, we had all these people come and I made all this food. And I remember my kids remarking, and it was the first Christmas without uh, my oldest daughter there. And the other kids said, wow, I didn't think Christmas could be this good. I, I didn't think that God could bless it like this. We had so much fun. But you see, we need that holy pause or we won't embrace and appreciate what we have and what God is doing. They needed to pause and become accustomed to the change. Sometimes a change is thrust upon us and we don't have the time to simply process it or adjust. Change that happens too quickly can have adverse effects on progress and personalities. So God gives us holy pauses so we can adjust and begin to process so we can embrace and enjoy. Now, this holy pause was also to redirect their cause, direction, and power source. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, Joshua is walking in the fields near Jericho when he suddenly sees a great soldier with his sword drawn. Now a drawn sword was the commander's sign to go forward into battle. And perhaps you've seen it in some of the old movies where they bring out their sword and they say, yeah, it's the same thing you say when you go shopping at South Coast Plaza. Charge. You know, men do it with swords. We do it with credit cards. Charge. Sorry. Ruined a really holy moment. But a drawn sword was the commander's sign to go forward. And Joshua immediately was alarmed at this sight. Why? Because he's near enemy lines. He's alone. And he asks immediately of this man, are you with us or for our enemies? This is too often the question we ask of God. Lord, are you with me? Are you with my neighbor? Are you for brain or are you for me? You know, whose side are you on, God? Because I think I've got a really good cause here, God. Are you on my side? And that is not the question to ask. You know, it's always dangerous to personalize the battle. When we make it, Lord, are you on my side? That makes the battle about us. But the battle must always be the Lord's purposes. When the battle is about us, we are the commanders. But when the battle is about God and his purposes, he's the commander. Saul the first king of Israel, was famous for making the battle about himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we read that he says to the troops of Israel, Cursed be any man who eats till Saul is avenged of his enemies this day. Now, right before that, Saul was sitting, feeling sorry for himself under this tamarisk tree. Most of his troops had deserted him. We're told that the men that were with him were afraid. But his son, Jonathan, turned to his armor bearer and said, you know what? 
It's nothing for God to say with many or with few. Let's take on these Philistines and see if the Lord might just be with us. Sure enough, the Lord was with Jonathan. We're told that as Jonathan scaled the cliff and went into the camp of the Philistines, the Philistines began to fall back. The earth trembled. Saul looks up and says, what's going on? Because he saw the Philistines begin to flee. And they took a inventory of who was in the camp, realized that Jonathan was missing. Saul charges into battle, but he takes credit for the battle and he begins to call the Philistines his enemies. They're not God's enemies. They're not the enemies of Israel. He's personalized this battle. And you know what it did? It demoralized his soldiers because now they're fighting for a king that's not trustworthy, a king that's filled with self-pity, a king that others have deserted. It brought a curse on his soldiers because they weren't allowed to eat or restrengthen themselves with food. It lessened the effectiveness of the soldiers in Israel. It led to weakness and self-pity and it removed God from the battle. The responsibility was no longer God's to bring them into victory. As Jonathan had seen, if the Lord is for us, then the enemy is nothing. But suddenly, when Saul made the battle about himself, the responsibility was on the troops rather than God to avenge King Saul, rather than fighting for the people of God, the purposes of God, with God. The answer of this commander is rightly no to Joshua. Are you for me or for our enemies? Are you for us or for our enemies? No. Don't you love that? No. No. What he's saying is the battle is not about you, Joshua. It's not even about the people of Israel. The battle is about the promises of God. You're going to go forward fighting for the promises of God, showcasing God's faithfulness. The battle belongs to God and not to men. And the battle is not about enemies. You see, if we make it about our enemies, we will be constantly obsessing about their forces. How strong are they? How many do they have? We will constantly be intimidated by their powers and overly aware of their activities. The battle must be about our God and the promises of our God so that we center our purposes in his purposes and we find our power in his power and we get behind him in obedience to his instructions. Joshua himself personally needed this holy pause. He was an old man with a great task. He was looking at a fortified city, barring the way into the promises of God. He no doubt was preoccupied with this city. Remember, he'd sent the spies. Find out how strong they are. Find out what kind of weapons they have. Find out how many men they have. But he needed to realign himself with God. So the commander said to Joshua, no. But as the commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. I think for that for Joshua, this must have been a huge sigh of relief. Thank God you're here. 
It's no longer on my shoulders. Joshua did not have to be in charge. He simply had to obey divine orders. Joshua was not alone. God was going before Joshua. All the armies of heaven were present and all the power of God was going with them and before them. God's power was here now and active and Joshua fell to his face. He could go weak because of the strength of the Lord was present and taking over. Someone greater with a greater army was present to take them into the promises of God. He wasn't responsible. In my own life, I have felt this sigh of relief. You know, as moms, there are times we have to be so strong. You know those times? Your, your husband's not home. Um, maybe a neighbor is yelling at you because your son just threw a rock in his yard that broke a window. Not like that actually ever happened to me, but it did. And I'm, I'm being very strong to the neighbor. And yes, I will take care of it. My son, I'm sorry about that. You just give me the bill. I'll pay for it. No need to appear before Judge Judy. We will take care of this. And, you know, no problem. And, you know, he's like screaming at me. And I'm just being strong and very calm. And all of a sudden, Brian drives up in the car. And I'm like, you know, I just can't take this anymore. You need to talk to my husband. You know, it was so great. I could go weak. I could be a woman. I could cry and say, what is wrong with you? What is this obsession you have with breaking windows to my son who broke six before he was even 15 years old from shower doors to large picture windows to neighbors' houses? I don't know. It's perfectly clear he had a problem with glass. But I could go weak. I could go weak at that time. I remember a time when a close friend of um, mine, the churches, it was a woman who died. Brian was out on a fishing trip with her husband and these other men, and they were on the road. They were somewhere out in the 15 coming back. There was no cell phone reception. And this man didn't know that his wife had passed away. It was rather suddenly. And everybody in the church was seeking their direction from me. And I was saying, you know, I was staying very calm. I, they said, you know, her daughter's here. And so I'm taking the daughter into another room. I'm ministering to the daughter. I'm coming out and I'm telling, you know, this person is crying. I was met by this one person who's just sobbing in the parking lot because she had been kind of mean to this lady. And I'm holding her and saying, you're forgiven. It's over. There's grace for this. You know, they're saying, what do we do? And I said, we call the mortuary. They're going to pick up the body. Let's take it here. And I'm doing all this stuff. And I have to be strong for everybody in the church at that moment. And then into the parking lot, Brian drives in and I could go weak and I could start to cry and I could mourn for the friend I had just lost and I could be a girlfriend and I could be a mourner. I didn't have to be so strong because Brian, he's my hero. He came in and he took over and he took the husband into another room. And he told the husband and they came out arm in arm. It was like the most precious thing. But I think Joshua felt that way. The hero is here. My ultimate hero is with me and for me. I don't have to be strong. I can go as weak as a baby. I can fall on my face and I can simply worship because I am so safe because this one is so guaranteed. 
This one is so sure that it's all, it's done. Honey says, what do you want me to do? Look at the first order of victory. What is the first thing to do to inherit the promise? Take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. Because the promises of God are holy ground and we cannot enter with our own shoes. We cannot enter in our own powers. We cannot enter in our own strength. We have to realize this is holy ground. This is why the holy pause button, because it's time to take off our shoes and worship. A wise woman I once knew said, when we worship, God works. And she got that from the story in Second Chronicles chapter 20. But as we worship, God works. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, if we don't have the holy pause button with that momentum, we're gonna charge out in our own strength and defeat is certain. But when we draw back and we take our strength from the Lord, And we realize that the battle is not about us and them, but it's about following Jesus by having our eyes absolutely on Jesus, by having him first and foremost, then victory is absolutely assured. Joshua could be honest with his weakness because his weakness, his age, his strength level, his administrative abilities, His strategies didn't matter anymore. Didn't matter because God was here and God's strength was here. God's strategy was here. God's power was here. He could give it all to God. God was undertaking. God was overtaking and God was guaranteeing the victory. So Joshua worshiped Shekah. He humbled himself. He paid homage It is always so important to realize how holy the moment is, how holy the presence of the land you stand in. You know, you are only where you are by the goodness of God. Sometimes we forget how holy the ground is that is under our feet, how holy this very place that we are alive, that we are breathing, that we've made it this far. We're standing on holy ground. We need to realize how holy the promise is. You know, sometimes we are after holy promises in the most fleshly ways, aren't we? I'm going to make that kid walk with Jesus if I have to, you know? Douse him with gasoline and set him on fire. You know, we're going to do it in the most unholy ways. We're going to lecture. We're going to restrict. We're going to pound it in them. We need to realize how holy the promise is. And a holy promise requires holy activity. It requires holy ways. And we need to realize the holiness of the objective. This is a holy objective. When you're praying that your kids will walk with Jesus, that's a holy objective. And it requires the holiness of God. It requires complete, absolute dependency on the Lord. Shoes off. Shoes off. And Joshua did so. Joshua took that holy pause, 
taking his shoes off, worshiping, waiting, and simply feeling the holiness of the ground, the commander, the promise, the Lord. If we are to possess the exceeding great, precious, and holy promises that God has for us, God is going to have holy pauses in our life. God will interrupt our march forward. God will quench our momentum to make sure that it's not adrenaline, but his power we were in. God will refine us, weakening us, pruning us, giving us times of rest and healing. God will require a Passover, a reflective time of celebration in which he will give us a foretaste of what is to come, help us to adjust to the changes ahead. Then God will center our objectives, our plans, our powers to his promises, his plans, his power. For some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You saw the promises, you seem so close, and suddenly there's a holy pause button. And you're a little bit frustrated because you felt the momentum. You thought you knew the direction your life was going. It seemed like all systems were go, and suddenly there's a pause. And for some of you, it's been a long pause. But take this pause and make it a holy pause. Let God use it to refine you, to remove the last remnants of Egypt from you, to recovenant with you a fresh dedication, a time to recover and heal, to roll away the reproach from your life. Take time, make it a holy pause, to reflect and celebrate all God has done for you personally, to remember how he has delivered you through Jesus Christ, your salvation, to think of all the ways you've been sustained, covered, blessed, insulated, and protected through this wilderness journey. Take time to enjoy all that God is bringing into your life. Take inventory of the changes, process them, embrace them, get used to their tastes, enjoy them. Refocus your attention off Jericho, off the enemies, off the powers and opposition against you. Don't make your life about your enemies or their powers, but make it about God's presence, God's promises, and God's power. We can add holy pauses into everyday personal devotions where we let God refine us, where we let God prune, where we let God heal us where we let God remind us of all the good things he's done for us, where we celebrate with even song and joy, where we recognize his presence in our lives and the promises he's given us. We can do this because we do this every week, bi-weekly, tri-weekly, and every time we gather as a church and fellowship with the saints, we are doing these things. It's a holy pause time. Church is a holy pause time. Have you ever thought on Sunday, have you ever had a to-do list and go, oh, but first I got to go to church. <laughs> yeah, no, I got to, you know, and you're like, okay, song, song. Okay, that was three songs, four songs. Okay, where's the sermon? Okay, offering sermon. Okay, now benediction. Okay, now I'm going to go on my day. And you know, I really believe Sunday morning is a holy pause. It's a holy pause to your week. Before you go on to the rest of your week, take this holy pause time. 
Before you get to your to-do list on Sunday, take this holy pause time. For some of you, Friday morning is a holy pause. And sometimes you're thinking like, do I go or do I not go? I've got so much to do. It's a holy pause time. And we need these holy pauses in our life. And I'm gonna ask you by the power of God to take advantage of this holy pause time in your life. It's God's way of getting our attention before we can go in and really begin to fight for, possess, and dwell in the promises of God. If we are to possess the great and precious promises that God has for us, we will need to experience the holy pauses God has planned for us. God will interrupt our march forward to make sure that it's not our strength, but His power we are standing in. God will refine us, weaken us, prune us, and give us time of rest and healing. God will require a pause so that He can ready us for what He has to come. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how God deals with obstacles as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.